love, peace, unity, understanding, harmony amongst one another. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Rip, roaring, ready to go. I give you my sports talk podcast with entertaining value. I give you the most entertaining, thought-provoking podcast that you can listen to. Rate, review, subscribe anywhere where you listen to podcasts and you will not be disappointed. I give you football, basketball, baseball, college football, college basketball, UFC, MMA, and of course, the loves of my life, the Georgetown Hoyas. And sometimes I might go a little bit farther and talk about what else is happening in the world. Wendell's World in Sports, the most awesome podcast that you can listen to. Rate, review, subscribe anywhere where you listen to your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What is going on? What is happening? k and me, amigos. Me, I'm a Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Good morning, good abend, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Shalom. Wassalam alaikum. Konnichiwa. Namaste. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us from all over the globe. A special dedication for those who are listening, by the way. I sure hope you're doing what you need to do to make your world, to make your neighborhood, to make your community, to make your place of employment, to make your household, to make your kids, to make your wife, to make your husband, to make your girlfriend, to make the woman that you're cheating on a better person by doing this, going ahead, having that conversation with someone who doesn't look like you, someone from a different race, someone from a different gender, someone with a different political background love, someone who loves a different person, even if the person you don't agree with, have that talk, have that discussion, have that moment to moment heart to heart talk with them you learn you educate yourself you take that lesson you take those lessons learn respect shutting up learning respecting what they're saying take it to the next generation pass along those words of wisdom so 10 15 20 40 60 years from now on this planet when we are all when my generation is long gone whether we're going up or whether we're going down hopefully we'll leave a society where the younger generation will learn that you know what man is all about what type of person that you are the character the content the love in your heart the respect that you have for others nothing else it doesn't have to deal with the stereotypes and the ignorance and the racism of your race it doesn't have to deal with the ignorance of what of your gender it doesn't go with the stereotypes of someone who's gay or someone who's tall or someone who's fat or someone who's hispanic or someone who's asian or someone from another part of the world or someone who worships a different religion someone who might love someone different than you was nothing about that man it's all about who you are as a human being so if you're gay if you're hispanic if you're latino if you're poor if you're rich if you're privileged if you're black if you're from iran if you're from dubai if you're from canada if you're from australia big deal as long as you're a good person 
I'm going to treat you with the respect and love and harmony that uh, you deserve. So hopefully for my generation, we're too ignorant, we're too selfish, we're too racist to uh, deal with the utopian society that I want to live in. So let's just make sure that we can leave something better for your children and then their children and so on and so forth. If we could do that, it would be wonderful. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Before I get into uh, what I want to talk about in terms of, hey man, this game between the Kansas City football team and the Buffalo Bills, I talked about it on my YouTube channel, which I'm going to be just speaking on very briefly. What a game, what a game, what a game, what a game. Before I get into that, before I get into what's going to be happening with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, what's going down with Tampa Tom and the Buccaneers, are we going to go back to Tampa Bay for the 2022 season or are we going to remain the Tampa Tom Buccaneers for 2022? I'm going to be discussing all those things, all of those things I will be hitting on. But first, I just put down something on my YouTube channel, Wendell's World in Sports the YouTube channel. I like to uh, speak about things in which I don't have time on my audio podcast to talk about. So didn't get too much into the Rams over the over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Didn't get into much of the other divisional playoff games from the NFL, but uh, talked in earnest about uh, what happened on Sunday between the Bills and the uh, Kansas City football team. So check that out. Also talked a little bit about my Georgetown Hoyas. Going to be speaking about the NBA on my next podcast as long as some things that I saw in the NFL. So it's complete with highlights. It's complete with this uh, movie star, sexual movie star, uh, heartthrob looking guy right here with the wonderful baritone voice. So Wendell's World in Sports, the YouTube version. If you could check that out, that would be appreciated. All right, enough of this nonsense. Let's go ahead and let me give you my thoughts and opinions about what happened on Sunday between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City football team. Man, what a game. What an absolute game. And I mentioned this on my YouTube channel. You know, when people start complaining, like myself and other folks who I talk to and those who have given up the uh, the NFL, when they talk about, man, you know, I can't believe that the NFL, how do they have the nerve? How do they have the gall to do what they do? I mean, how can the NFL do whatever the flip they want to do have an atrocious, embarrassing track record of discriminating against highly qualified coaches of color for head coaching jobs. You don't see any black GMs. You don't see any minorities in terms of any upper management jobs. For the most part, another round of coaching hires are going to be going on. Another round of general managers that are going to be hired and the minorities are going to be left out again. And this is horrible and this is terrible and the NFL should be ashamed and all that's talk about ending racism is nonsense and how can the NFL get away with that stuff how can the NFL screw over Colin Kaepernick and some others who's exercised their constitutional rights in a silent non-violent pacifist way to go ahead and you know express their displeasure about some of the things that are going on in the society not during the game not in between the snaps not in between possessions none of that stuff just Really quickly, while the National Anthem is going to be playing, while other folks are scratching and other folks are talking in the stands and other folks are getting beer and other folks are not really paying attention to the National Anthem, but yet those same people are talking about how un-American and how hard and how much Colin Kaepernick and the others and NFL football players hate the uh, hate America, they hate the Army, and they hate the police, and they hate the flag and all this, non- all this kind of nonsense. We hear that narrative. We hear that narrative from the ignorant folks 
And yet the NFL is going to pay attention to those ignorant folks and get rid of Colin Kaepernick and nothing's going to happen to those guys? No ramifications for such a ridiculous historical misstep by those guys as far as the NFL is concerned? The way that the NFL puts the health and safety of their employees, namely the NFL players, in jeopardy by adding one more game and then have a game on Thursday night while the NFL is talking about, yeah, man, we're concerned about CTE. Yeah, we're concerned about the long-term health of the NFL players when they retire, of course. Absolutely, man. We are down with you guys. We want to make sure that you guys are as healthy as humanly possible after playing this violent game of football for, whether it be four years, four downs, eight years, 12 years, Tom Brady, 22 years. We want to do everything humanly possible to make sure that you can walk away from this game in terms of being physically intact. But then we're going to add another game and have a Thursday night game. Okay. Disregard, disrespect, ignore the health, well-being of players from the past who were, who made this league, the ones who are now broke, broken financially, physically struggling in their old age because of what they gave to the game to make it grow to become the sport that it is today. These guys can't get a decent retirement. These guys can't get a decent pension. These guys can't get decent health care from a league who makes multi-multi-billion dollars. You would think... You would think that somewhere, somehow, that this would have a negative effect on the league, right? The league that employs players who have been convicted of felonies, violent felonies, against women, have killed innocent people because of drunk driving, Leonard Little, part of a dogfighting ring, Michael Vick, aided and instructed justice concerning a double homicide, spent some time in jail, Ray Lewis, but yet still, everything is cool. Riley Cooper goes to a... Uh, concert and starts calling folks niggers that's fine no problem big deal greg harley damn near kills his girlfriend that's fine no problem we'll have jerry jones sign him and make that piece of garbage a captain no problem why because we're the dallas cowboys why because as long as we're the dallas cowboys as long as the nfl is surviving as long as the nfl is on don't worry about it the advertisers aren't going nowhere and most importantly the public isn't going anywhere so when we question and we scratch our heads and we figure out and we're trying to figure out why in the hell can the NFL do all these things? Why in the hell does the NFL doesn't succumb to any type of pressure at all? Why is this possible? All you have to do is take a look at what happened on Sunday between Kansas City and Buffalo. All you need to do is take a look at what happened in the divisional playoff rounds on Saturday and Sunday. All you had to do was take a look at the drama and the storylines of what was going down in Green Bay, Wisconsin and Tampa Bay, Florida. And as much as someone like me, who yes, he shouts and he screams and he complains and all this stuff about black coaches not getting an opportunity and the NFL is always moving the goalpost in terms of what is the best opportunity for black coaches who are qualified to be black head coaches, what can they do to increase their chances of getting jobs as much as I scream and I yell and do all these type of things and we have these talks and the Rooney rule and all these type of things, guess what? I don't give a damn if the NFL, well, I do give a damn a little bit, but if the NFL, this hiring cycle is going to hire nothing but white coaches and GMs, guess who's going to be watching the NFL on week one come September next uh, NFL season? This guy. Call me weak. Call me a hypocrite. 
Call me addicted, call me whatever you want to. But after watching those games on Saturday and Sunday, man, I ain't going nowhere, man. I'm too much into what's happening with the NFL right now. And so are you, so are you, so are you, so are you, and so are you who sit there and complain about how horrible some of the things are with the NFL. As long as you can give me Buffalo and Kansas City, as long as you can give me Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, I ain't going nowhere when it comes time for the NFL. As long as you can give me the drama, which was San Francisco and Green Bay, as long as you can give me the drama, which was Tampa Bay and Los Angeles, man, I ain't going nowhere. So there you go, man. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So I know that after the game between Buffalo and Kansas City, and by now everybody's talked about it to death, so let's just move on, and let me give you my thoughts and opinions about it in terms of people saying, man, that was the most incredible, that was the most wonderful, that was the greatest NFL game I've ever seen, in fact, that might have been the greatest sporting event I've ever seen, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, tennis, golf, curling, rugby, whatever, golf, it doesn't matter, man, that game between Kansas City and Buffalo was unbelievable. So I say, hold on for a second. All right, that, that's, I mean, there's no wrong answer. There is no right or wrong to this because when you take a look at what's your definition of the greatest game that's ever played or what my definition is of the greatest NFL football game that's ever played, it's so varied that there really is no right or wrong answer. There really is no yelling and screaming and calling people names and that type of thing getting personal and your negativity, if someone says, yeah, that game was pretty good, but, uh, you know, I've seen better. You can't even get mad and upset. If you're going to take the argument, or if you're going to take the notion, or if you're going to go out and say, man, that was the greatest sporting event I think I've ever seen. 15 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 minutes, one day, 48 hours after that game between Buffalo and Kansas City was over. If you want to sit there and say, man, it's still in my bones, it's still in my heart, I still have that passion to say that, man, that game on Sunday between the Bills and Kansas City, that was the best game I've seen, period. And I've been watching sports for decades. That was the best game, period. Don't get upset. Don't get mad if someone looks at you cross-eyed and say, nah, man, that's not even close, Holmes. That's not even getting there. You know, I'm speaking about, I mean, you could be talking to someone who might be a football fan, a college football fan, who might sit there and talk about, you know what, live and die and breathe with Alabama. So, you know what, that 2017 or 2018 NCAA championship game between Georgia and Alabama where Tua came off the bench in the second half and threw that touchdown pass in overtime to Devonta Smith to have Alabama win the national championship 26-23, that, my friend, was a much much more impelling, uh, compelling and better game than what we saw on Sunday between Buffalo and Kansas City. You might be thinking of someone over there in London, England, who might say, you know what, man, I was there or I watched, being a huge tennis fan, I watched the Wimbledon final between Roger Federer and Andy Roddick. I watched the Wimbledon final twice, not once, but twice, the two times that... Um, the two times that Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer went and, and played for the title. I was there watching the Australia Open when we had uh, Novak Djokovic go up against Rafa Nadal in one of the finals. Don't try to tell me that that game wasn't better than what we saw on Sunday between the Bills and Kansas City. Entertaining game, yes. All-time great game, best game I've ever seen in any sport. No, not even close. You could be speaking about a guy from Boston who's going to sit there and laugh at you 
and say, what are you talking about? That game between Buffalo and Kansas City, while it being a great game, while it being compelling to say it was the greatest football game that you've ever seen. Oh, I'm sorry. Did anybody see the Super Bowls where my New England Patriots, with my QB, Tom Brady, came back from a 28-3 deficit to beat the Atlanta Falcons? Oh, I'm sorry. Did anybody watch the Super Bowl between the my New England Patriots and the Seattle Seahawks where Malcolm Butler made that interception at the uh, end zone when everybody and their mama thought that the uh, – Seahawks were going to win because we had no idea how to stop Marshawn Lynch. I'm sorry, wasn't that for the Super Bowl? Was the um, trophy given to the winner of Kansas City and Buffalo after that game? I'm sorry, because Tampa Tom, who used to be New England Tom, me being a huge Patriot fan living in the Bostonian area, grew up, grew up in Boston. My father's from Boston. My grandfather's from Boston. I'm third or fourth generation Bostonian. There ain't nothing, and just in terms of football is concerned, man, there ain't nothing that's ever going to supersede the two Super Bowl victories once against, one against Atlanta, the other one against Seattle for me. I don't give a damn what Seattle, I don't give a damn what uh, Kansas City and Buffalo did that game. They weren't playing for a Super Bowl, so who gets a flying flip when you compare it to what uh, Tom Brady did being a member of the Super Bowl winning tip um, New England Patriots against the Atlanta Falcons and the Seattle Seahawks. I'll do you one better. If you're even speaking from a guy from Boston or a gal from Boston who's heavily into sports, you're going to try to convince them well, if you say that this was the greatest sporting event they've ever seen, you're not going to try to uh, talk about Game 7 or Game 6 or Game 5 or Game 4 of the divisional playoffs between the New York Yankees and the Boston uh, Red Sox where the Yankees were up 3 nothing, and then Boston in extra innings and a couple of those games came back and ultimately won the series to go ahead and win their um, World Series championship. There ain't nothing as far as what a divisional round in the playoffs, two teams between Buffalo and... Kansas City, that's nothing that's going to be able to move and be great for them. No, no. So when we sit there and we talk about the greatest game that's ever played or we speak about the greatest sporting event that's ever been to, I think that's just on a moment's notice. And as I mentioned before on my YouTube episode of I was speaking about this, the game between Kansas City and Buffalo, the AFC Divisional playoff game, the fact that, man, we got to let this, before we go ahead and we start labeling it, when we start going ahead and putting it in the annals of sports and sports history and how great this and come back that and unbelievable game this and NFL history lore this that and the other when we start going ahead and saying and comparing it to the holy roller or we start speaking about uh, the CF hands game between Oakland and Miami if we start speaking about the immaculate reception if we start speaking about all these historic plays in NFL history or all these historic games in NFL history before it's not ready this game is not ready for that type of scrutiny just yet because we still have to figure out exactly what the end game is going to be I mean hell we're speaking about the greatest sporting event of all time um miracle of uh, do you believe in miracles hockey team 1980 Olympics USA over uh, over the Soviet Union Russia whatever they were whatever they were called back then Let's calm down. Let's calm down just a little bit. I, I'm not trying to say that the game wasn't great. I'm not trying to say that while I was watching the game, I wasn't going crazy. I wasn't lo losing my mind. I wasn't even talking about, man, this might have been the greatest football game I've ever played. I, I, I even went ahead and said that. But once 
I stepped back just a little bit. I said, whoa, man, let me go ahead and uh, just kind of let the season and everything else play out. Because, again, everything in terms of how great this game really was, how long the shelf life is, is going to depend on so many other things, a.k.a. what happens next week in the AFC championship game between Kansas City and Cincinnati. Because if Cincinnati comes in and beats uh, beats Kansas City, well, the game between Buffalo and Kansas City is going to be wild, fantastic, great. It's going to plummet dramatically because then the new storyline is going to be, my goodness gracious, for the first time in forever, the downtrodden Cincinnati Bengals are going to be going to the uh, Super Bowl. A team with Joe Burrow, a guy who I've argued is going to be one of the faces of the league once Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and all those other old guards finally retire. These old guys who are going to the NFL, these generational greats, who's going to be able to take that torch in terms of being the face of the league and move it forward. And we bring in Josh Allen, we bring in Lamar Jackson, we bring in Patrick Mahomes, we bring in Justin Herbert. Man, you damn sure very quickly better bring in Joe Burrow, which I've always mentioned before on a couple of podcasts. So the the narrative and the storyline and the attention and the spotlight and the new star of this movie in terms of the 2021 NFL season is going to shift from that unbelievable, fantastic, best game I've ever seen, Kansas City-Buffalo game, to, holy smokes, Cincinnati's going to be in the Super Bowl. And if Cincinnati wins it, again, how much of a dent is going to be make, made into that game between Kansas City and Buffalo? So, on, you know, on the other hand, if Kansas City goes ahead and wins this Super Bowl, then this game is going to be raised much higher in terms of how great it was and how you know, the importance. And if this game is going to launch the Kansas City football team into a true dynasty, maybe not one as consistently great as the New England Patriots of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. But if this is going to start the run of three or four straight championships, then, oh yeah, oh yeah. This past Sunday was one of the game's signature moments where 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years from now, we are still going to be talking about this game. Many people of my generation sit there and talk about the best game I've ever seen when I was relatively young was the San Diego Chargers versus the Miami Dolphins. And I believe the 1982 AFC Division Championship game where San Diego jumped out to a 24-0 lead, that team that had Dan Feltz and Kellen Winslow and Charlie Joyner and Chuck Muncie and um, West Chandler and James Brooks and those guys, those guys jumped out to a 24 nothing lead over Miami on the road because San Diego had a poor defense during that time. Miami came right back, hook and lateral with Nathan, uh, Tony Nathan to cut the lead at halftime to 24-17. Miami came back in the second half, took the lead. San Diego retaliated and tied the game. There were missed field goals. There were unbelievable plays. There were long-lasting images in NFL history with Kellen Moore, uh, Kellen, um, Kellen Winslow being helped off the field, unable to walk because of the exertion and how much energy and passion and effort he put into that game, dealing with the heat and the humidity of South Florida. So when people of my generation, we always bring that game up in terms of, man, you know, when, for, for the longest time, when we speak about what was the greatest football game you've ever seen or the most underrated football game that you've ever seen in terms of why aren't people going on and on and on about that game? It's always that game between San Diego and Miami. So why isn't it talked about more? Well, because after San Diego won that game, 
The next week for the AFC Championship, they had to go to negative 16,000 degrees in Cincinnati and got their doors blown off by the Cincinnati Bengals 27-7 with Ken Anderson looking like it was sunny in 95 out there. So that's one of the reasons why if San Diego and Miami was for the Super Bowl, if San Diego and Miami in 82 were playing for a trip to the Super Bowl, it would be held in much higher regard for the generation's uh, future in terms of sporting fans and such when we talk about greatest uh, games of all time. So it's always just a situation where it's like, look, man, you know, we need to kind of calm down a little bit. I'm quite sure there's some older generation folks who are in their in their 80s, maybe some still living in their 90s who could you know, go back and say, wait a minute, none of this stuff would even be happening if it wasn't for the 1958 championship game between the New York Giants and the Baltimore Colts. So before we start yipping and yapping about how great this game is, the game that launched the NFL to where it is right now started at Yankee Stadium, 1958, in that overtime game, 23-17, Johnny Unitas to Raymond Barry, Lenny Moore, Gino Marchetti and such against the uh, Frank Gifford-led Sam Huff led New York Giants. We didn't even know in terms of what a two-minute drill or two-minute uh, drive was until Johnny Unitas came on the field. We didn't even know in terms of what was overtime was all about in a championship game until that game happened at at uh, Giants Stadium in 1958. So if your definition of greatest game ever played is the importance of that game and what it had on the future of the league or whatever league that that game was being played in, then yeah, you would say without question, the 1958 game between the Giants and the Baltimore Colts, not Indianapolis Colts, all you youngsters, the Baltimore Colts, that game has special lore and was much more important and a much better game than the game this past Sunday between Buffalo and Kansas City. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. For what, what made the game so great? What the final 13 seconds of the game this game was elevated to historical status in many people's minds based on 13 seconds. Because up until about five minutes left to go in the game, when Kansas City was leading 26-21, it was a good, solid football game. It was a fine playoff football game. But at that point in time, no one was sitting around talking about, man, this is one of the greatest games I think I've ever seen. Man, you know I love baseball, basketball, football, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. But man, when you're speaking about Americana and all the great sporting events with five minutes left to go, the score 26-21 in favor of Kansas City, this might be the greatest game I've ever seen. Nobody was saying that. The final two minutes put it close. The lead change hands three times in the final two minutes of regulation, 25 points over that stretch. Okay, that got it there. That put it on the... That put it on the outskirts. That put it on the outside looking in in terms of going to the club greatest game ever. You know, they were they were outside. They were waiting in line. They're ready to go into the club, but they weren't just there yet. But after the Bills completed a 75-yard drive, 17 plays that took seven minutes, going five for five on third and fourth downs, including the 27-yard touchdown pass from Josh Allen to Gabriel Davis on fourth and 13, and then a two-point conversion where... Josh Allen was running around like a chicken with his head cut off before throwing the two-point conversion pass on the left side of the end zone, backside of the end zone to Stephon Diggs to make it 29-26. That's when you said, all right, we're moving closer to the 
we're moving closer. Now all we have to do is convince the bouncer that he should let us in. And once we're into the club, then maybe somehow we can move our way up to the VIP section. The two-point conversion passed by Allen to Stefan Diggs to make the score 29-26. That got them close. That got them closer to being let into the club. Greatest games ever. But then KC got the ball back on their 25-yard line with a minute 54 left to go. You were thinking to yourself, hold on for a second now. Kansas City, they're just going to go ahead. All they need is a field goal, right? That two-point conversion was very important because now what Kansas City is going to do, what Patrick Mahomes is going to do, they're just going to work the ball and work the clock to get themselves into a really good field goal position to uh, kick the field goal. And then in overtime, we'll see what happens. But uh, Mahomes said, I don't think so, Jackson Brown. Went five plays, 52 seconds. The score that tele that uh, TV that damn the score that TD. Mahomes hit Tyreek Hill on the crossing route near midfield. He ran 64 years, yards and put the beep beep to the Coyotes, which were the Buffalo Bills. A minute two left to go in the game. It was 33-29, and you thought, all right, now we're in the club. Now we're in the club. Now we're moving. Now we're grooving. Love the fact that, uh, you know, this club is playing a little James Brown. Then it's playing a little Otis Redding. Then it's playing a little Levi Stubbs in the four tops. Now it's playing a little Marvin Gaye. Now it's playing a little Donny Hathaway. Oh, we're going to slow jam a little bit with Aretha and, uh, and Anita. So this club, this club, greatest game ever. Man, it's great. It's popping. It's, 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 you know, it's fantastic. But we're not in the VIP section just yet. That pass from Mahomes to Tyreek Hill, awesome, fantastic. Elevated the game even more. Put the people waiting to go into club, greatest game ever, into the club, but you're not in the VIP section yet. You're not up in the VIP with the Halle Berrys, with the Layla Roshans, with the Gabrielle Unions, with the Monica Bellucci's, with the uh, Scarlett Johansson's, with the Dorothy Dandridge's, with the Marilyn Monroe's, with the, uh, with the greatest of them all. Not there just yet. That, that pass to Tyreek Hill, 33-29, 52 seconds or 62 seconds left to go. All right, all right, we're getting close. Because you thought that there's no way Josh Allen's going to come back and win this game. Yeah, I know that the Kansas City defense has been porous. And I know because of injury and that type of thing that, you know, th- there might be a sliver of a chance. But nah, nah, they've got to be devastated after that play by Kansas City by Mahomes and Hill, right? They 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 can't get this done in 62 seconds. Again, they need a touchdown. They don't need a field goal, right? That's what you were thinking. I know that's what you were thinking. Well, Josh Allen said, you know what, man? I'm getting sick and tired of Patrick Mahomes being this and Patrick Mahomes doing that and Patrick Mahomes being the end all, the be all and and and, and, and um, you know, Tom Brady this and Tom Brady that and you know, doggone it, you've got uh, Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP again and people slobbering how, over how great Justin Herbert is and Joe Burrow this and Joe Burrow that. Does anybody remember who the flip I am? My name is Allen, Josh Allen. Let me give you a reason why you go. You guys are fool with the exception of, uh, of uh, pimping up uh, Patrick Mahomes, why you guys should be speaking about me very quickly having my name come out your mouth very quickly when we're speaking about greatest quarterbacks playing today my man from Wyoming went 6 plays 75 yards and 49 seconds and you're speaking about 2nd and 10 from the 25 yard line their own 25 yard line 
completes a 28-yard pass to Davis at the Kansas City 47 with 57 seconds left. Your heartbeats start to get a little bit faster. First and 10 from the KC 47. Allen completes a 12-yard pass to Davis to the KC 35 with 49 seconds left. You start breathing a little bit heavier. Second and 10 from the KC 35-yard line with 23 seconds left. He completes a 16-yard pass. Allen completes a 16-yard pass to Emmanuel Sanders, gets the ball down to the Kansas City 19. You're getting out of your seat. You're pacing a little bit. You're kind of like get, calling up your fellas. You're calling up your girlfriends. You're calling up your boyfriends. You're calling up, you know, you're doing the texting thing. You're calling up on the phone saying, are you watching this? You're texting your friends saying, are you watching this? Can they do it? Are you going, are you going to be able to sleep? Are you going to be able to do anything of these guys? What's going to be happening? Then, with 13 seconds left to go, Josh Allen says, you don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, you don't pull the mask off an old Lone Ranger, and you don't fuck around with Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to be fucking around with Patrick Holmes. In fact, not only am I going to be fucking around with Patrick Holmes, in the morning, I ain't going to leave him breakfast, and I'm not going to leave him a goodbye letter. I'm not going to even give him a kiss on the cheek as I leave. I am going to get it done. 13 seconds left to go, he completes the pass to... Gabriel making the score 36-33. And this is where it became an all-time instant classic. Now, all of a sudden, the females, when 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 Josh Allen completed that pass to make it 36-33 with 13 seconds left to go, you weren't yet in the VIP section. But guess what? Halle Berry was kind of looking from the VIP section saying, ooh, who's that? Who who was that? Hey, uh, Monica Bellucci, come over here. Take a look at that. Who is that? Who's that dancing with Jada Fire right now? Who is that dancing with the? Uh, uh, who who who's that over there dancing with uh, Cherokee? Who's that over there dancing with Scarlett Johansson? Who, who is that? Because he's looking mighty fine. He might be able to. Uh, we might be able to have him come on up to the VIP section of the uh, greatest games I've ever played club. That's what that play. That's what that drive by Josh Allen did with Gabriel with 13 seconds left to make the score 36-33. But where they got into the instant classic in regards as one of the best games ever with the final 13 seconds of the game. Kansas City down by three. Three timeouts left, having the ball at their own 25-yard lines. I'm not going to uh, eviscerate. I'm not going to criticize. I'm not going to... I'm not going to armchair quarterback Sean McDermott's uh, reasons for a squip kicking and all that type of stuff. They're at the 25-yard line, 36-33. You're ready to vanquish the AFC uh, divisional or conference champions. Get it done. Get it done. So 13 seconds left. Now, come on. You have to admit it. You didn't think they were coming back. You were thinking to myself, damn, he did it. I know that's what you were thinking. You were up there talking to your girlfriend, talking to your kids, talking to your parents, talking, you're texting with your boys. You were at the bar talking about, that motherfucker did it. <laughs> Josh Allen, that man is for real. That gives him, what, nine touchdown passes this playoffs uh, season? Five against the uh, Patriots. Bill Belichick's defense, five touchdown passes. And now four, outdoing Patrick Mahomes at home? On Patrick Mahomes Stadium in Patrick Mahomes town. Wow. Unbelievable. 13 seconds left to go in the game. Kansas City went two plays in 13 seconds. Set up the game tying field goal attempt from Harrison Buckner. 
You had to be you have to be a little you had to be a little bit nervous there because he missed a 47 yarder before and it went a little bit short. But you said to yourself, no, 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 no. When that pass came and that pass was completed to Travis Kelsey and he went down and they called timeout, you said, No, 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 no. No, you're gonna you're gonna you can't tell me. You you're 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 joking, right? This is silly. This is ridiculous. If they go ahead and they make this field goal, they're gonna this is only a forty nine yard field goal. This is makeable. No. They're not gonna be doing that. Here's the snap, here's the hold, here's the kick, it's up and shit. Oh my goodness gracious. Instant classic. Bump, 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 bump. Come on into the VIP. Let me have you meet Hallie and let me have you meet Monica and let me have you meet Selma Hayek. Woo! Man, unbelievable. The overtime was anticlimactic, right? Kansas City won the coin toss, uh, coin toss went down, scored to win the game. It was uh, it was magnificent, man. It was an unbelievable game. And you think about it, that game between Allen and that game between Patrick Mahomes, and you take a look and you say, how many quarterbacks in the history of the game could have pulled that off? Seriously, man, Johnny Unitas, Norm Van Brocklin, Bart Starr, my man Roger the Dodger Stallback, four Super Bowl champion Terry Bradshaw, before Tom Brady came around, the greatest quarterback of all time, Joe Montana, Dan Feltz, Fran Tarkington, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, Steve Young, John Elway, Warren Moon, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, Drew Brees, Troy Aikman, shit, Sammy Ball. I mean, how, how many people in the history of the game could have done what Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen did. Tom Brady, maybe, possibly Aaron Rodgers. Other than that, name me some others. Wasn't there. Not going to be there. And best example of saying this is one of the best games in NFL history, the performance between those two as a combo in a single game. Both Mahomes and Allen threw for at least 300 yards. Had a couple of touchdowns, had multiple touchdowns, had what, four or five touchdowns, completed at least 70% of their passes without an interception, and led their teams in rushing with at least 65 yards. No other quarterback in the NFL history has accomplished those feats in the game. Regular season game, postseason game, preseason game, Super Bowl game, OTAs, training camp, seven on seven. No, no quarterback has ever done that. No duo of a quarterback in the same game has ever done that. No two quarterbacks on the same field have ever done something like that. Mahomes finished with 378 yards passing, three touchdowns, 64-yarder to Tyreek Hill in the final minute of regulation. Clutch pass to Hill and Kelsey to force overtime. Then the game-winning drive, the game-winning score to Kelsey. Good night, see you later. We're moving on. Ran seven times for 69 yards at that opening drive touchdown using his feet, not his arm. Josh Allen, on the other hand, hey man, 27 of 37, 329 yards, four touchdowns, ran for 68 yards on 11 carries. Tremendous, tremendous. We speak about Lamar Jackson when we say dual threat quarterbacks, right? The quarterbacks who are changing the game. And in a way, Lamar Jackson, without question, is changing the game. But as I mentioned before on my YouTube episode, speaking about this man, when... Lamar Jackson breaks out into the open and he sees a linebacker coming. He sees a strong safety coming. He sees a cornerback coming. His teammates, the fans, everybody tells him to slide or get out of bounds. 
Avoid the hit, right? Avoid the contact. Every quarterback in the history of the game, for the most part, especially those who like to use their legs and their feet and their athleticism to create, run the football and such, right? Get as many yards as you can and then slide so you will not get hit. When Josh Allen, six foot six, six foot seven, 240, 250 pounds, when he breaks the uh, breaks into the secondary and he sees a cornerback and he sees a strong safety and he sees a free safety, the hell if he's going to be sliding. He might slide just, you know, for the betterment of it. But if it's going to be third down to 14 and he takes off because of bad coverage and he beats the spy that's on him and he's got 12 yards, he's up 12 yards and he's got three more yards to go and standing between him and that first down and those three yards is a free safety or a strong safety, he's not going to be sliding. He's going to try to go over them or around them. Lamar Jackson ain't going to do that. Let's just kind of, you know, hit the ground and then we'll try for it on fourth down. Josh Allen is like, nah, I'm 6'7", 250. Let me go ahead and show you what I'm all about. That's the difference, man. That is the difference in terms of the dual threat. Lamar Jackson, much more athletic, much more jaw-dropping in terms of his athleticism and what he can do in terms of entertaining, in terms of evading, in terms of being elusive, in terms of having the impact in that regard. But man, with Josh Allen, it's a whole new, uh, Papa's, you know, Josh Allen's got a brand new bag. And he was giving out goodies left and right during that game against Kansas City. So it was, it was fantastic. It was an absolutely fabulous, fabulous game by both of those guys. But, you know, when we go ahead and start speaking about the greatest sporting events, when, when I'm listing the greatest sporting events of my lifetime, I'm talking about game six of the 1986 World Series between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Mets. I'm speaking about game six and game seven of the 1991 World Series between the Atlanta Braves and the Minnesota Twins. I'm speaking about the 2001 game seven between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the New York Yankees. I'm speaking about the 2013 NBA Finals between the San Antonio Spurs and the Miami Heat, mainly Game six, I'm going to be thinking about. I'm thinking about round 15 of the 1978 heavyweight championship fight between Ken Norton and Larry Holmes, which started my path, which started my journey on me becoming a passionate sports fan and a multitude of sports. Watching that game on Wide World of Sports with my dad on ABC Channel 7 back there in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area back there as a young lad and watching those two guys basically try to kill each other, one trying to take the title the other one trying to keep the title so between Holmes and um, Ken Norton as I mentioned man that three minutes the last three minutes round 15 that was much better than any two minutes in overtime that the Buffalo Bills and the Miami and the uh, Kansas City football team gave us so you know there's a whole lot of things and, not, and I'm not right and I'm not wrong and I'm not saying that if you know you disagree or whatever I mean you might not have been around in 1978 to see Holmes versus uh, Holmes versus Ken Norton. You might not have been around to see some of the sporting events that I did. You might not be a big enough fan. I saw John McEnroe. I saw the match in Wimbledon, one of the greatest sporting events I've ever seen. And yes, I, I want to go ahead and say that it was better than Kansas City and Kansas City and Buffalo was the 1982, 81, 83, somewhere around there, the early 80s Wimbledon final between Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe that went fit, that went five sets and the fourth set was an 18-16 tiebreaker. 
I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, that shit was unbelievable. For the Wimbledon, uh, one of the Grand Slam titles. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, you're going to fault me for that. You might hate tennis. And you might not think tennis is a big deal. And because of your American bias, you might say tennis, big fucking deal. Hey, man, there's billions of people watching cricket who aren't quite sure don't give a don't give a hoot about this game between Buffalo and Kansas City who speak about, you know, over in Bangladesh and Pakistan and New Zealand. There's a rugby match going on, which the old-timers could probably pull out and say, shit, if you think that Buffalo-Kansas City game was something, you should have seen the game between, I don't know, two of the uh, rugby teams in the Australian Rugby League, League or something like that. So, you know, it's all it's all relative. It's all, you know, it's all, it's all good. It's all good speculation. It's all good fodder. And it's all good talking points. There's all those good things. But uh, I enjoyed it. It was great. It was wonderful. The matchup between Allen and Mahomes, another one. Comparison, the 1988 Eastern Conference semifinals between the Atlanta Hawks and the Boston Celtics where Larry Bird, in one of his final games of legendary status, had 34 points, 20 in the uh, fourth quarter, going 15 for 24 from the field. Going blow-to-blow, toe-for-toe. Dominique Wilkins having the game of his life. I don't know where in the crossroads in Mississippi he went to uh, meet the devil to uh, give up his soul to have a Game 7 like that against Boston at the Boston Garden. But Wilkins, 47 points, 19 of 23 shooting. I mean, if you want to... That that is something where it's kind of like you want to have the quote-unquote matchup between... Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, was it any more scintillating than what I just mentioned? If you were around to watch that game or if you were still too young to remember that, the 2008 Eastern Conference semifinals, Game 7 between the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I know all you LeBron James fans are going to remember that game, right? Boston won 97-92, but the duel between Paul Pierce and LeBron James with LeBron scoring 45, with Paul Pierce scoring 41, Hey, man, you might take a look at that and say, yeah, Buffalo, Kansas City, nice, wonderful, fantastic, great game, loved it, enjoyed it, passionate about it, fantastic. But me being a basketball fan and me being a LeBron James lover, not me, but I'm just saying, you know, you can make the argument by saying, hey, look, man, that game between Boston and Cleveland, that game seven, that would turn me into being a huge basketball fan and have me dreaming about being the next Paul Pierce or LeBron James. So even the impact of that game had more on my life and more on what shaped me to become a fan of the sport than, say, what happened against the uh, against the uh, Bills in Kansas City. So all the things come into play, but it was a great game. It was a fantastic game. It was an awesome game. But Kansas City moving on, moving on against Cincinnati, having home field advantage. There should be no reason why the football team from Kansas City, Missouri, the professional football team from KCMO doesn't move on. And again, we're speaking about in the angles of history, depending upon what happens next week in the preceding weeks and the following seasons. Yeah, we'll be able to properly put this, this game between Kansas City and Buffalo in this proper place. But 42-36 in overtime, fantastic, wonderful, but instant classic and all those type of things. For me, I'm going to hold off just for, I don't know, maybe one or two or three or five years or a decade or so. Well, I'm the jibber, dabber, short like shabba. 
Bitch was a muckus like Menudo or Judo. I kicks it. I kills them when I gamble. And when I swings my thing, I take the swing like Mickey Mantle. But um, I got more flavors than a pack an hour later. Beg your pardon, Mr. Kiba, but I love vanilla wafers. See, I got it going on because of the songs that I write. I got it going on because my crew is enough hype. Plus, I sit them, I stand them, I grab them like Zorro. I shop at that casino for a bag of Stellagoro. West it, oh yes, it's the books was three. Of my cousin's crazy, crazy, a blitz and D. I'm just a man that's on the mic. Welcome back, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what is happening in the world of sports. Pretty good. I um, I was uh, substitute teaching today up in, uh, up in Mesquite and uh, had a couple of my little buddies in class. And uh, a couple of days before, because, you know, the passing of the global trailblazer and icon Sidney Poitier and stuff. So even though... It's not being discussed in the school systems like it should, in my opinion. I've uh, been trying to get them hip to uh, Sydney Poitier. A couple of the uh, students, ninth and 10th graders, are actually having a theater class. They're taking a theater class. So I'm just letting them know about, hey, you know, the greatness of Sydney Poitier and what he overcame. Because when you go into Mr. Wallace's class, you're going to be inundated with a little Marvin Gaye. You're going to be inundated with a little uh, Isley Brothers. You're going to be inundated with the sounds of the Four Tops and Levi Stubbs with Otis Redding, with Anita Baker, with Aretha Franklin, with some John Coltrane. I'm not going to be doing anything as rap is concerned because we need to keep it school appropriate. Not going to be doing any love songs, of course, because we're keeping it school appropriate. But, uh, you know, I have my playlist ready for them when you speak about the Isley Brothers, when you speak about the OJs, when you speak about um, th- th- that, that type of stuff, just to get them a little bit of the feel, just to get them washed in uh, something other than NWA and Eazy-E and... and um, and, and Tupunk, or what's it, what's it called, Tupunk, Too Dead, oh, that's right, Tupac. Uh, yeah, so, but, you know, th- th- those kids from that area, as far as the black experience, they know that's basically all they know. So I would like to just to get them a little bit more educated and a little bit more aware of what my neighborhood and what my community is all about. So I remember when Sidney Poitier died, my little buddy, Hispanic girl, called her over. Let's just call her Jane Doe because I ain't throwing out names. I said, uh, Jane, come here for a second. Let me let me uh, show you. Do you know who this guy is? She looked at the picture. She looked at me. She looked at the picture. And she looked at me, quisitive, looked at the picture, looked at me and said, is that you? <laughs> now, it was from the Wikipedia, the post, the picture of uh, Sydney was from the Wikipedia page. So we're speaking about Portier and not, not near the end of his life. So it was kind of like, whew, thank goodness for that. I mean, I mean, if she would have taken a look at a 70 or 80 year old Sydney Portier and taken a look at me and say, is that you? I mean, my feelings would have been hurt. Tears would have been rolling down my face. But it was from when he was uh, in his early 40s and such. So she took a look at the picture, took a look at me, took a look at the picture, took a look at me. Is that you? It's like, no, that's not me. Believe me, if I was Sydney Portier right now, I wouldn't be a substitute teacher. I'd be acting. I'd be saying what I can do. What, 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 what scripts can you give me where there's going to be a love scene with uh, Halle Berry, Monica Bellucci, or Selma Hayek in it? Because I'm down with that. Uh, salary, don't worry about it. My fee of $20 million per picture, don't worry about it. <laughs> I get a love scene with Halle Berry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm down. So I was like, no, that's not... That's not me. That's uh, Sidney Poitier. And I explained to her, Sidney Poitier, who he is, showed her a clip from Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and what he's talking to his father. So today, 
just to uh, see how far can I take this in terms of who does she think I am. I put up a picture of a young Denzel Washington. <laughs> I said, Jane, come here for a second. <laughs> I said, I cannot believe this, man. These folks, you know, you try to go ahead and you try to keep your personal stuff and you try to keep yourself off the internet. But, you know, some of these people are just terrible. They're just horrible. And they go ahead and they get a picture of a younger me and they put it on they put it on the internet, and this is just terrible. I mean, take a look at me. Isn't this just terrible that someone could do something like this? And I had my mask on, and she took a look at the picture, and she took a look at me and said, that ain't you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, <laughs> can't, you can't win them all. Then I took my mask off, and she said, oh, yeah, that's definitely not you. So <laughs> it's just like, well, you know, got to get the try. <laughs> you know, let's, let's see. I mean, if she believes I'm a 40, you know, if she believes I look like Sidney Poitier in his early 40s, I mean, you know, why not uh, stretch it to see if I can look like Denzel Washington in his late 30s? I mean, yeah, anything's possible, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, so love them kids up there, man. The 10th graders, the 9th graders, love them to death. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A Sydney Poitier take a look alike. Talking about what is happening in the world of sports, talking about what is happening. In the uh, AFC, in the uh, championship series, the, woo, the, um, we spoke about Buffalo and we spoke about Kansas City, but we didn't speak about Cincinnati, did we? We didn't speak about Cincinnati over Tennessee, 19 to 60. Victory puts them in the franchise's first AFC championship game in 33 years. Rookie Evan McPherson kicked a 52-yard field goal. The time expired. The fourth-seeded Bengals are moving on, beating the top-seeded Tennessee Titans 19-16. Whatever you thought about the Tennessee Titans, whether you thought they, you know, they took advantage of a weaker division with the AFC South in which you get the joy and the pleasure of playing the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars a combined four times, even though Tennessee lost to both those teams, even if you thought that, uh, you know, they really didn't deserve to be the number one seed. And if you were going to have somebody come out of that uh, division or come out of that conference to represent the AFC and the Super Bowl, that would be the Kansas City football team, or it would be the Buffalo Bills, who I think, and I mentioned it before on my podcast, in my last podcast, I thought that the winner of Buffalo and Kansas City was probably not only going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, but also win it. But I digress. But, um, yeah, so there was some stuff in terms of Tennessee being the number one seed. Like, eh, eh, kind of fraudulent there. You're speaking about the Titans being the number one seed over Kansas City and over Buffalo. Yes, I understand that Tennessee beat Kansas City in the regular season, beat them pretty good, but that was long before this Kansas City team showed up. So, blah, blah, blah. Either way. It was an impressive victory over Cincinnati. It was an impressive victory for uh, Cincinnati, and it also ended one of the NFL's longest active road playoff losing, you know, losing skids. If you think about it, the Bengals won their first road game in the postseason after losing their first seven. If you remember the time during the Marvin Lewis era, who the teams were good enough to make it to the playoffs, but the teams were never good enough to uh, get past the first team they played in the playoffs a lot of time it was the Steelers and a lot of times the Steelers were just a better team but let me tell you something Zach Wilson did something that Marvin Lewis didn't do which was win a playoff game in which his team was not the better team uh, going into that game so for a guy who was squarely on the hot seat when the season started after two miserable seasons with the Bengals his first time being a head coach he's uh 
he's done an absolutely remarkable, remarkable job. So what impressed me, really, and it's got to impress you when you speak about Cincinnati and the victory over Tennessee, now they're in the AFC Championship game against Kansas City, going on the road against Kansas City to try to get back to the Super Bowl for the first time since Boomer and Sam Weish did it back in the uh, late 80s where they lost to uh, Joe Montana in the uh, Super Bowl, but that 80s, 80, 88 or some nonsense like that. So the, the thing is, is that what I think made the Bengals legit in terms of they're just not going to be cannon fodder for Kansas City when they play this this upcoming Sunday is the fact that, you know what, they won a playoff type of game. They won a playoff type of game, which made them, you know what? These guys are legit contenders. They beat a physical, run-first, defensive-oriented, muck-it-up, make-it-look ugly type of team, a sloppy on the, you know, type of team in the Tennessee Titans, and they did it on the road. The defense played well. The offense, while the offensive line stunk out loud, Joe Burrow showed what he had, the toughness, the grit, the determination, the discipline to uh, get it done. The Bengals' defense intercepted Ryan Tannehill. Three times, setting up two of McPherson's four field goals. It wasn't a situation where it was just an open-air game where both quarterbacks for, threw for 400 yards and the defenses were porous. It was, uh, it was a slobber knocker, if I could use a Jim, Rossi, a Jim Rossian uh, phrase. Logan Wilson picked off Tannehill with 20 seconds left in the game. Burrow hit Jamar Chase with a 19-yard pass. Then the Bengals ran the ball twice to set up McPherson. For the win, it almost kind of reminded me of a Bill Parcellish type of a game when you speak about the Bengals' effort against the Tennessee Titans on Saturday. And as I mentioned before, Joe Burrow passed the test in terms of becoming one of the elite quarterbacks in the league because he found a way to win the game when he was basically getting beat up. The man was sacked nine times. I mean, after four or five times, I would have been like, look, man, if you guys cannot uh, p- protect me, I'm just going to, every time there's a pass play, I'm just going to audible to a run because, you know what, man, I want to try to live past 50. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm really not interested in having arthritic knees and arthritic hips and arthritic elbows by the time I'm 42 years old because you motherfuckers can't do anything to protect me. Or, you know what, I kind of want to remember where I live, who I am, and how to get to the grocery store down the street when I'm 47 years old, which ain't going to be happening if you guys continue to let that front four from the Tennessee Titans beat the hell out of me. Joe Burrow didn't do any of that. Now, I don't know if he was thinking that, but Joe Burrow was like, you know what, I'm going to take this beating, I'm going to take this beat down, and I'm just going to find a way to win the football game. Man, that's what elite quarterbacks do. That's what championship quarterbacks do 28 of 37 348 yards yeah he threw an interception and yeah he didn't throw any uh touchdowns but the fact that he had his team in a position once again thanks to the offense excuse me thanks to the defense because Tennessee didn't put up 24 or 28 or 35 points on the board so it wasn't a situation where Burrow had to be called upon or relied upon to uh, put big numbers on the board offensively but just the fact that despite the pressure that was being put on him and the fact that the times that he was sacked, he still found a way to get his team into a position to win the football game. And, hey, man, we're going to almost come down to the fact that the only reason why the Tennessee Titans are moving on to face the Kansas City football team in the AFC Championship is because Cincinnati has Joe Burrow and the Tennessee Titans have Ryan Tannehill. Big difference. 
In fact, of course, there's plenty of plays. And of course, not one player is responsible for a loss. But man, when you're speaking about the ineptitude and you're speaking about the mistakes in this game that Ryan Tannehill made, it's almost a situation where you have to think to yourself and say, look, man, I mean, how, how far can we go with Ryan Tannehill? Yes, Derrick Henry was back, but you could see that he was clearly rusty and he should be. He missed six, seven weeks. Of course, the man is not going to come out like a ball of fire like Jerry Lee Lewis. Of course, he's going to be a little bit rusty. So they needed a situation where they needed Ryan Tannehill to step up. Joe Burrow stepped up under tremendous pressure, under tremendous adversity, under tremendous obstacles in terms of the pass rush and what it was giving him. But he found a way to get it done. Jamar Chase caught five passes on six targets for 109 yards. T. Higgins caught seven passes on nine targets for 96 yards. Joe Mixon had 104 total yards and a touchdown. Bengals on offense ran 12 more plays than Tennessee, 64 to 52, controlled the ball for seven more minutes, 33 to 25, held the Titans on third down conversions to uh, one of eight. So all of those things you point and say, yeah, 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 for Cincinnati, but man, when you take a look at the totality of that game, you had to scratch your head. If you watched that game, you had to scratch your head and you had to say to yourself, how in the hell did uh, Tennessee lose this game? The return of Derrick Henry, check. They stacked Burrow nine times in the game and didn't allow a passing for him to throw a passing touchdown. They didn't allow him to go Baltimore on them, check. On offense, Tennessee averaged seven yards per play compared to five for Cincinnati, check. They only combined for two penalties for 15 yards, so there wasn't any type of third down holdings or wasn't type of chunk plays negated because of a because of penalties, check. So scratching your head after watching this game, you say, how in the world did they lose the football game? The only way they could have lost is turnovers and poor play by the quarterback. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, so there they go, which they got both, which was one and the same in terms of Tannehill was concerned. 15 to 24, 220 yards, one touchdown, but um, three interceptions. Bingo. Thanks for coming. Tannehill's second interception came after Devonta Freeman broke a 45-yard run to advance the ball to Cincinnati's nine-yard line. God damn it. <laughs> it's like, you know, so if you're a Tennessee Titan fan, it was like, come on, man. It was Tannehill's fourth red zone interception this season, which is the most in the NFL, which includes the playoffs. So it's like, uh, what are we going here? What are we doing here if you're the Tennessee Titans? Again, great job by the Cincinnati Bengals. Again, all around, defense, offense with the exception of that offensive line played well and despite the fact that uh, they couldn't protect Joe Burrow they still got good games from T Higgins they still got good games from Jamar Chase they still got good games from Joe Nixon and the defense was the reason why they were put into the position to win that game with the turnover forced and also the overall defense in the containment of Derrick Henry who I believe rushed for like what 68 yards somewhere around there on 20 carries or something like that so all of those things in terms of who do you give the game ball to those are the recipients mainly that defense for Tennessee but man if you're Tennessee if you're the Titans man you got to be taking a look at the quarterback position and saying what are we going to do here because we don't have a quarterback that's good enough to win us the Super Bowl I'm sorry. I mean, you have you might have a defense, but your defense is in San Francisco-ish to where they can mask the deficiencies and the weaknesses of a Jimmy Garoppolo type of quarterback. If Ryan Tannehill was playing for a team like that, then yeah, maybe you wouldn't. that wouldn't be such a big deal in terms of trying to figure out where you're going next. But unfortunately, you don't. 
your defense is good, is not dominating, is not San Francisco-ish. So as far as the quarterback is concerned for the Titans, man, you got to do something. I don't know. You might have to start the process of finding, acquiring, trading, drafting, somewhere around there. You might have to start having that decision. You're not going to cut Tannehill. You're not, you're not going to put in the backup. I mean, I, I don't know in terms of, you take a look at his salary, he has $24.5 million, which was converted into a signing bonus, which is going to spread over the next three years. So you take a look at his cap number, is $38.6 million, but there's a $57.4 million dead cap hit if the uh, Titans release him. So that's not going to happen. So the restructure makes it difficult to uh, move Tannehill after this season. So unless something unusual happens, man, sorry, guys. Sorry, Tennessee. Sorry, Nashville. Ryan Tannehill is going to be your quarterback. You better hope to God that um, Derrick Henry can stay healthy, that defense remains the same or get better, and A.J. Brown continues to improve because, as we saw in this playoff game, when they needed the quarterback to do something for them, they turned to Ryan Tannehill, and Tannehill could not get it done. So... Derek Carr isn't coming to that squad next season, in all likelihood. Aaron Rodgers isn't coming to that squad, in all likelihood, next season. Deshaun Watson is not coming to that squad, in all likelihood, next season. Russell Wilson is not coming to that squad, in all likelihood, next season. So, this is the team that you have. This is the quarterback that you have. It's good enough to win you a division. Are you sure it's going to be the... Is, are you sure it's going to be good enough to win you a division next season with Indianapolis? Now, Indianapolis, the Colts have their own question marks and you know and deals with and, and dealings with um, Carson Wentz. But I think that Ryan Tannehill has given us plenty of plenty of uh, ammunition and evidence that he's not going to be that guy that's going to be able to carry you to a playoff. Now, not too many quarterbacks can. And just because you have one, that doesn't even guarantee it. See Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and Tom Brady. But, you know, it, it helps a whole lot. And Tennessee doesn't have one. Number one seed, um, that was just tough for him. That was just re- really tough for him. So Tennessee, going back to the drawing board, have questions to uh, deal with. And also for the Cincinnati Bengals moving forward. So, that was the AFC. Like I mentioned before, man, you got Kansas City and you got Cincinnati. We all gonna remember the last time that the Bengals, that the Bengals played the uh, Kansas City football team at Cincinnati. That was the game where, you know, they hung tough. Jamar Chase could not be stopped. I think he had like 500 yards receiving in that game, being facetious. And it just came down to near the end of the game where Zach Wilson. I guess I guess now after the game against. Uh, Buffalo, I guess you could say that he was kind of right in the assessment to say, hey, look, man, we're going to keep going for it on fourth down, going for it, going for it with the tie game. Remember that? And Zach Wilson kept going for it and going for it, and people were screaming and yelling, why don't you just kick the field goal? Well, I guess Zach Wilson knew what he was doing if uh, you saw that 13 seconds wasn't wasn't good enough for the opposition to say, yeah, Patrick Mahomes ain't going to hurt us, so... In that game, they had it, what, at the goal line, and they kept going for it and kept going for it before they finally kicked the field goal with no time left to uh, have Cincinnati win the football game. That was the last uh, blemish. Really, if you take a look at Kansas City on this run that they had to uh, where they are now, their resurrection 
to being the elite of the AFC, to being kings of the NFC, to being the rulers of the AFC, shall I bet on you, and Patrick Mahomes taking his seat atop the mountaintop of best quarterback in the league, Biatch. So, moving forward in this game against the Bengals on Sunday for the championship, I'm not a defensive coordinator, but I'm quite sure that Steve Spagnuolo is going to do everything humanly possible Ooh, that's pretty good. Steve Bagnolo is going to do everything humanly possible to uh, make sure that Jamar Chase does not burn them over and over again. Because if they thought, if you thought they had uh, problems guarding Gabriel Davis, what's going to be happening when they have to face Jamar Chase a second time? So I'm going to be guessing that there's going to be a, hot, a whole lot of zone defenses or in, in the secondary, in the back seven, you know, kind of going the way of Jamar Chase, which means there's going to be other opportunities for T. Higgins and such to uh, get the job done on their end. And on the other end, uh, the other side, hey, man, it's all about, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes. It's all about that offensive line. Not too much on the, the, on the running game, but uh, think of the situation like this, man. It's going to be, hey, you know what, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, are they going to put on something close? I'm not saying they're going to mimic. I'm not saying that they're going to be on the same level. But in terms of the threat that Josh Allen gave to that defense, which in turn gave to Patrick Mahomes for him to put some points on the board and make some things happen, is Joe Burrow going to represent the same threat this upcoming weekend to the Cincinnati Bengals that he did the regular season game? Quite sure that those guys right now are burning the midnight oil and uh, coming up with schemes and coming up with game plans to uh, make corrections both for Kansas City and for Cincinnati because it was a situation where for the first part of the game, Kansas City was in pretty good control of the game. Then they, they lost uh, control because they found no way to stop the uh, st- to stop the locomotive known as Jamar Chase rolling down the track to Winsville. So uh, we'll see what the uh, game plan is going to be for for that moving forward. So, huh, so it'll be interesting. The only reason why, I, before I go to uh, break and get my boogie on, I just saw, I'm watching, um, I'm watching the Golden State Warriors and I'm watching the uh, Warriors and the Dallas Mavericks play. It's blowout Tuesday as I'm recording this here for basketball is concerned. My Georgetown Hoyas just got their doors blown up off by Connecticut, not surprisingly so. They lost by 20-something. The Brooklyn Nets minus Kevin Durant, minus Kyrie Irving, got beat by LeBron and the returning Anthony Davis. The Lakers over the uh, Brooklyn Nets. No wonder James Harden wants to get out of there. And, or this offseason, and now I'm watching the Golden State Warriors beat up on the Dallas Mavericks. Porzingis just got himself thrown out of the game. And Jonathan Kaminga, just had a pretty nasty dunk on somebody, which made me go, ooh. So, there you go. He was uh, damn near face high at the rim. So, young man's got some talent, some athleticism. Good organization, good coach, and Steve Kerr to get that done. But, that is a, another topic for another podcast. But, yeah, man, the AFC Championship game is set. Cincinnati and Kansas, Cincinnati and Kansas City should be, hopefully, Maybe not the greatest football game that's ever been played, but you know what? I'll be quite happy with a very competitive and entertaining football game. I'm quite sure Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes can give us that.
Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, speaking about what is happening in the world of sports, speaking about what is happening in the NFL, besides the fact that Sean Payton is no longer going to be the coach of the New Orleans Saints, he's going to take some time off, he says he needs a little break from 16 years with the New Orleans Saints organization, losing Drew Brees will do that to you. The fall from excellence of Michael Thomas will do that to you. The fact that you had to work with Jameis Winston, the fact that you had to work with uh, Tyson Hill at your quarterback will do that for you. And a third string quarterback after those two were injured will do that to you. So it'll be interesting to see who Sean Payton, 58 years old, so he's got some more NFL coaching left in, in him if he wants to. Wonder what uh, team is going to be a calling. Which team now is automatically going to put their coach on the hot seat to say, hey, look, man, you know what? If you don't get something done this season or next season coming up, we've got Sean Payton in the wings. And I wonder, in terms of sweetening the deal for maybe some of these teams who might not have been successful in the past to try to lure Tom, excuse me, try to lure uh, Sean Payton to the squad, will they give him, you know, the situation where Ron Rivera has in Washington or some other folks where they have um, the control of, uh, you know, not not only the coaching aspects of the deal, but also in terms of the player personnel and some other things where they have the whole run of the organization. If, if it's a organization, is a franchise, and is an owner going to give Sean Payton that type of autonomy and in a desperation move uh, moving forward if Sean Payton decides if he wants to get back into the NFL or is he just going to do a Jimmy Johnson minus the experience he had in Miami when Jimmy Johnson left the Dallas Cowboys he was um, in the booth doing some TV for a little bit came back and waited for uh, Don Shula to um, that 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 uh, John Shula coaching regime to uh, flush down the toilet before he came in and Tried to make Dan Marino a guy who wasn't going to be throwing the ball all over the yard because Dan Marino still thought it was 1983 when it was really 1997. And, um, you know, to try to implement a running game and such. And the relationship between quarterback and coach really wasn't there where it needed to be. And I think Johnson was there for a short amount of time. And after getting blown out in the playoff game against Jacksonville, which happened to be Dan Marino's last uh, game as a NFL football player, it was also... Jimmy Johnson's last NFL game as a head football coach. So it'll be interesting to see, A, does Sean Payton get back into the league? B, how long will it take for him to get back into the league? C, what organizations would he find interesting to coach in the league? And B, or D, what organizations as of right now, as we speak, are having one eye open in terms of what Sean Payton's going to do and also in terms of what their team is going to do. Because you take a look at some of these teams, I mean, you take a look at a team, say, like the Denver Broncos, or you take a look at a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, just some other teams who haven't found a coach yet, the Minnesota Vikings and such. How long, what type of coaching candidates are you going to look for if, for instance, 
you're under the possible acknowledgement or the possible guess that, you know what, maybe after a year or two, Sean Payton's going to be wanting to get back into the game, get back into the skins of this scheme of things. So if that's going to be the case, I mean, what are we going to do? Because, you know, take someone like a Denver, we need a coach now. So it's like, yeah, it would be nice to have Sean Payton be the head coach of our team. But, I mean, what do we do in between the time that uh, that happens? Are, are we going to do like a Houston Texans type of situation where we're going to hire a coach with the understanding that we're grooming somebody to take his job in a year or two? Are we going to be hiring a coach with the understanding, the possibility that if Sean Payton does decide to get back into the scheme of things and start looking to uh, – get back into coaching that uh, we're going to have some interest on him. And what would Con what would Sean Payton do to uh, even acknowledge something like that? Because, you know, one of the things in the NFL, as far as coaches are concerned, is you don't go after another uh, coach's job. You wait till the opening is open. It's, you know, you wait till that job is open before you go ahead and you start campaigning for it. Now that's what agents are for and other folks to handle that dirty work. But, um, you know, the Miami Dolphins are looking for a coach. The, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, the Houston Texans are looking for a coach. The Las Vegas Raiders, the Denver Broncos are looking for a coach. The New York Giants are looking for a coach. I mean, it's a situation where I'm thinking, you know what? If I'm Ron Rivera and I'm in Washington and me being a Washington football fan, I'm thinking to myself, let me see here. He's been there two years. I know we signed a five-year contract, but if we have an opportunity to get Sean Payton even though I don't know why in the world Sean Payton would want to sell his soul to the devil, namely Dan Snyder, and work for that ass clown. But uh, this just say, for instance, that Snyder can throw a boatload of money like he did at Steve Spurrier, like he did at Joe Gibbs, to like he did with Marty Schottenheimer, to uh, get those guys to uh, be head coaches and work for him at the organization. If Sean Payton is going to come back, or if there can be some situations where there might be some interest between Washington and Sean Payton. I mean, if I'm Ron Rivera and me being a fan of the Washington football team, see ya. If we can get Sean Payton instead of Ron Rivera, see ya. And don't worry, he'll be fine. He'll be all right. He's got plenty of money. He doesn't need to go apply for a job at Wendy's to uh, make ends meet and pay the bills. He'll be quite fine in retirement. So you take a look at someone like a Minnesota. Take a look at someone like a Detroit Lion team. I mean, Dan Campbell with 3-13 and 1 in his first season there. Sean Payton is going to say, look, I just need to recharge in maybe a year or two. I'll be roaring, ready to go. What does that mean for an organization like the Detroit Lions and a coach like, like, like Dan Campbell? You take a look at someone like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or, or maybe even on a team like the Seattle Seahawks. Now, I know the GM and Pete Carroll are pretty much tied to the hip in terms of their relationship is concerned. They're so... I would not guess that there would be backstabbing or anything like that. But, I mean, you know, Pete Carroll is getting up there in age. We don't know what the relationship is between him and Russell Wilson. And if you're um, Jody Allen, the owner of the uh, Seahawks, and there's a situation where, hey, look, man, you know, we have a guy that might be trying to get back into the game after a year off and Sean Payton, and we still have Russell Wilson out here. I mean, the marriage between... Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, Seattle Seahawks fans. You don't think that would work? You don't think that would be pretty good? You don't think that would be enticing? Take a look at a team like the Arizona Cardinals, who again petered out in the in the in the playoffs and down the stretch. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury. How much? How much? Uh, how solid is his foundation? 
in terms of being the coach to where, you know what, I, if I'm the Cardinals organization, hell yeah, I'm calling Sean Payton agent to say, you know, what do you think the timetable is for him in terms of getting back into the game if he wants to get back into the game what the thoughts and opinions are about Kyler Murray what the thoughts and opinions are about living in Phoenix Arizona the school system for his kids or what his wife you know desires and wants would be within living in within the community and such how much power how much control of the football organization does he want what's his relationship possibly with maybe some of the employees that we have on the football side of things that might have worked with Sean Payton might have a relationship with Sean Payton, all of those things go into the ultimate decision. If Sean Payton wants to come back and coach again, quarterback, organization, community, fan base, and those type of things play a, a big role. I think the biggest role is the ownership, the GM relationship that he would have with that person. And also, does this team have a quarterback? Because unless you have a defense like the San Francisco 49ers playing a team that has special playing a team that has the special teams like the Green Bay Packers then um, you know you're going to need a quarterback to do some things see the Tennessee Titans in that game against the Cincinnati Bengals so you know Dallas Cowboys right Jerry Jones big game hunting a lot as far as players are concerned with Sean Payton who worked I believe for Jerry Jones when he was on the staff of Bill Parcells back in the day would he be interested in taking a team that has some talented uh, key players, has some talented players at the running back, at the quarterback. We still think Ezekiel Elliott has some talent left, but at the quarterback and wide receiver position, there's some things to to work at. We don't know exactly where Dan Quinn is going to be going, but on the defensive uh, side of the football, you have some players who could be of useful usefulness to them. And when you take a look at Micah Parsons, who for the next eight to 10 years to be an impact football player, so if you're Sean Payton, would the Cowboys interest you? So all of these things are going to be discussed in terms of what's happening with Sean Payton taking a break from the New Orleans Saints. And if you're the Saints, where, where do you go from here? What's going to be happening from here? What's your quarterback situation now? What's going to be the direction that you're going right now? Your defense is still strong. You still have Alvin Kamara. But, you know, that uh, quarterback position, that wide receiver position is um, – has many questions to it and now you don't have a coach highly regarded as one of the better offensive minds and schemers and developers of offenses and quarterbacks in the nfl so moving forward we will see about that wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us all right let's get back to the playoffs shall we because we have to talk about these doggone sunday night games or these games or the nfc game between the Green Bay Packers and also the uh, the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. Mm, 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 mm. 13-10, the number one seed, the Super Bowl favorites, the team that needed to reach expectations, the greatest. If you take a look, every team wants to win the Super Bowl, of course. Every team that went into the playoffs, I don't give a damn about that. Hey, you know what? We have... We, you know, we're, we're free and easy. We're going to be playing loosey-goosey because we shouldn't be here. So because of that, the pressure is off. What do we have to lose, right? So let's go in here and play loosey-goosey. I don't believe in that nonsense. I just believe that's just bullshit talk. I mean, every team that's in the playoffs, A, thinks they can win. B, really doesn't give two shits in terms of what prognosticators or fan bases or gamblers or fantasy football players feel about what their chances of winning football games or winning championships or winning divisions or winning conferences. So when these guys go in, I don't care if you're the 
number eight seed. And I don't care if you were the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't care if you were the Las Vegas Raiders. I don't care if you were the Green Bay Packers or the Tennessee Titans. Each one of those teams truly believe they have a good shot. They can talk their way into believing that they have a good shot of winning the Super Bowl. But the team, again, so every team wants to, of course, win a Super Bowl. But I think in terms of the longevity of the run that they could have in terms of being Super Bowl contenders or being teams that are or that are of the elite class, I think the team that needed to win a Super Bowl or to reach a Super Bowl the greatest was the Green Bay Packers. And the situation was they didn't win the Super Bowl. They didn't even win their conference championship. They didn't even win a playoff game. Losing to the San Francisco 49ers again. 13 to 10. Again, the defense was a big proponent in terms of San Francisco winning against the Green Bay Packers, against the Aaron Rodgers-led Green Bay Packers. It wasn't Robert Saleh this time doing the work for him. It was D'Amico Ryan, the defensive coordinator, who put the kibosh on any type of Green Bay advancement in the playoff. Robbie Gould made a 45-yard field goal as time expired for the victory, which means that Robbie Gould now had made 20, had made all 20 of his career playoff field goal attempts. The man is money, 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 money. He's money. OJ's. So you can, you know, we can, we can just sit here and speak about, you know, what's the formula, what's the deal, and the most important thing in the NFL to get the, Get yourself a franchise quarterback. You can't go anywhere with a franchise quarterback. You can't do anything without a franchise quarterback. And for the most part, those things are true. For the most part, it is quite advantageous for you to have an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or a Lamar Jackson or this season and last season and the 20 years before that Tom Brady (laughs) or Peyton Manning when he was in his prime. Yes, your chances of winning championships and Super Bowls go up tremendously if you have that. But, man, what the San Francisco 49ers are showing that, you know what? If you have the Aaron Rodgers, if you have the Patrick Mahomes, if you have the Josh Allen of NFL defenses, you can have a Jimmy Garoppolo at the quarterback and still be in contention to uh, win championships, win Super Bowls. I I really think, man, that uh, the San Francisco 49ers have a really good chance of winning a Super Bowl. Now, I'm not saying they're the favorites. If you take a look at the four teams that are still left in this competition known as trying to get that Super Bowl championship, and you have the Kansas City football team, the Cincinnati Bengals, the... San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams, I would say that the Kansas City team has the best chance of winning a Super Bowl. But man, would it shock you if the 49ers pulled off the remarkable and beat the Los Angeles Rams, who they've already beaten twice before this year, and then go into the Super Bowl? And if they play the Cincinnati Bengals, then that would be a matchup that, you know, you're putting the you're putting in that front four in terms of the defensive line for San Francisco against the team in the Cincinnati Bengals who allowed Joe Burrow to get sacked nine times the last time that they played up in Tennessee. If they play the Kansas City football team in the Super Bowl, you're speaking about a rematch between the 49ers and the uh, Kansas City team from a couple of years ago in which um, San Francisco was right there in terms of having a great opportunity to win a Super Bowl. So, hey, man, you know, don't be sleeping on the 
San Francisco 49ers and DeMarco Ryan, come on now, defensive coordinator, come on now. He needs to be getting some interviews. He needs to be getting some love. He needs to be getting some respect. He needs to be getting some true opportunities to become the next head coach somewhere because he's done an absolutely remarkable job with a defense that um, if you take a look at it now, especially that front four, still great. A healthy Nick Boksa will make any front four great. But uh, if you take a look at the defensive front from the 49ers days when they were when they played Kansas City in the Super Bowl compared to now, I would go with that um, front four because the Forrest Buckner is no longer with this group. He is over in Indianapolis. So, yeah, you can still win a, you can still compete and be legitimate Super Bowl contenders with great defense and an average quarterback because you take a look at this game against the Packers. San Francisco defense held them to 10 points. Speaking of the Packers, held Green Bay to 10 points, holding them to 263 yards of total offense. And if you take the first drive out of the game where Green Bay went down and scored and you were like, oh shit, looks like it's going to be a blowout here. You take away that first drive for the entire game, for the entirety, the rest of the game, Green Bay had less than less than 200 yards. You can speak about the weather. You can speak about the conditions concerning the field and such, but I don't care, man. Holding Aaron Rodgers for three and a half quarters to less than 200 yards when you have Devontae Adams, when you have an underrated, I think, receiving core in Green Bay and also a running game, which uh, features Aaron Jones to hold that group to under 200 yards. And you knew the type of opportunity they were going to be getting because San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback is not going to be a team that's going to be having too many possessions because with Garoppolo at quarterback, especially the way that he was playing on Saturday against the Packers that they were going to be doing, they were going to be having a lot of three and out. So the whole, that defense for San Francisco, again, the whole Green Bay to what it did in total yards, less than five yards per play, less than six yards per pass, sacking Aaron Rodgers five times, making them, making him feel their presence around them, which affected the passing game. And it was, uh, it was very impressive. Very, very impressive. It, it made Aaron Rodgers very uncomfortable. If you take a look at it, if you just take a look at some of the targets that um, Aaron Rodgers would, was uh, going to, it was a situation where it was like, hey, look, man, you know, Aaron Jones caught nine passes for 129 yards. Devontae Adams caught, caught nine passes for 90 yards. And then after that, there was nothing. Every other member of the Packers caught two passes for a combined six yards. So to me, that means that Rodgers knew that he didn't have a lot of time to scan the field and he knew he didn't have a lot of time to see if he could trust his receivers for the day outside of the ones he knew. That also included his best friend, Randall Cobb. So he was just like, hey, look, man, I'm just going to rely on getting the ball out as quickly as possible and looking for Devontae Adams and everybody else. So be it. So that defense was awesome. Now, it's also great that San Francisco played a team in Green Bay where the defense for the Packers was tremendous. Got a bunch of uh, players back who hadn't played. The, 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 one, the linebacker who named escapes me right now who missed the entire season he came back and had a great game the offense if you're speaking about one of the more talented offenses with the MVP as your quarterback being a bang a boom but man I tell you one thing what was the bugaboo what was the Achilles heel all season for the Green Bay Packers you guessed it homeboy it was the uh, special teams and yeah again when the loss happens 
everyone is to blame. Coaches all the way down. But leading the <laughs> the, the the leading actor in Green Bay losing to San Francisco on uh, Saturday were the special teams. Green Bay entered it as the uh, ranked as the worst special team unit in pro football, and they uh, showed why. Against San Francisco, the 49er blocked a 39-yard field goal attempt on the final play of the first half, would have given Green Bay a 10-0 lead. Green Bay gave up a 45-yard kick return to uh, Debo Samuels to start the second half. That led to a field goal to make a 7-3. So instead of up, instead of being up 10-0, special teams allowed the uh, 49ers to hang around. Very important when you have the style of offense that the 40 that, that the 49ers run, and you have Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback. The Packers leading 10-3 with 4:41 left to go in the game. From their 12-yard line, San Francisco blocked the punt. San Francisco picked it up, returned it for a gimme touchdown to tie the game at 10-10. And you could feel the air go out of the Lambeau crowd. And you saw that momentum. You saw the heads getting bigger. You saw the chest getting larger in terms of the San Francisco 49ers saying, hey, wait a minute, man. We have a chance to win this game. According to ESPN Stats and Information, the research the 49ers blocked a field goal and a punt, making the Packers the first team in 33 years to have both happen to them in the same playoff game. So they took advantage of it. Debo Samuels made some plays. The San Francisco 49ers are moving on. The Green Bay Packers are going home. So here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Let's, let's talk about this. What does this loss mean for the legacy of and future of Aaron Rodgers? Now, as of right now, both mean absolutely zero to Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he was walking off the field saying, oh my God, what the fuck is this going to do for my legacy? Oh shit. I don't think he gives two shits about it. But it is a discussion that uh, folks are going to be having. He went 20 of 29, 225 yards, 0-4 in his career playoff starts against the San Francisco 49ers. He's lost to, what, Colin Kaepernick. He's lost to Jimmy Garoppolo. He's lost to Alex Smith. I mean, he's lost to all of them. He's lost to the good, the bad, and the Garoppolo. So it's a situation where it's like, man, he's the first quarterback in NFL history to lose four playoff starts to a, to the same team. So, again, where, where, where do we go with Aaron Rodgers? What's going to be happening with Aaron Rodgers? First of all, for us to start speculating in terms of what's going to be happening. Is he going to retire? Is he going to ask for a trade? Is he going to remain with the Packers? What exactly are we going to be speaking about right now? I think it's all speculation. And for the most part, I think it's silly for us to to, to dwell on it. Because as of right now, as I'm recording this at uh, 9.30 on a Tuesday night Pacific Standard Time, which means that it's already Wednesday morning, in uh, the east part of the uh, country of the uh, divided racist ignorant states of America over in London we're already speaking about it's early morning when we're speaking about it right now in Australia it's already the afternoon and evening on a Wednesday afternoon so as of right now across the globe whether it's Tuesday evening or Wednesday afternoon wherever Aaron Rodgers is I'm quite sure right now he has no idea exactly what he's going to do now, he might say to himself, I want to continue to play football. That might be something where it's kind of like, I can't leave like this. And I still love the game. And uh, last time I checked, I was really damn good at it. Love the game, this, that, and the other. The question is, for me, is that it'll be interesting to see 
when he makes that decision because it could be a situation for right now he could say you know what I'm done with the Green Bay Packers. It was a good run, but, you know, this, that, and the other. I didn't like what they did as far as drafting Jordan Love and not telling me about it. And I didn't like the way that they uh, kind of threw me under the bus and had me take all them slings and arrows and shots about uh, not getting vaccinated. How about that? Not getting vaccinated shots, huh? Pretty good, huh? That's pretty funny, ain't it? Ha, 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 ha. But basically, I didn't like the way the Packers left me out to dry in terms of this whole COVID not getting vaccinated immunization type of thing so I'm still kind of sore at that if you know Aaron Rodgers which I don't know which you don't but reports from those who know him say that uh, he can hold a grudge he can hold a grudge with the best of them and sometimes if it's a situation where he says hey look this is the way it's going to be believe me it ain't changing he's very uh, dogmatic about that in terms of his decisions once it's made to uh, not turn around and not go back so how concrete were his thoughts and feelings this past off season in terms of, look, you know, I'm not coming back. I don't like the Packers organization or we'll just kind of give this one more run and then we'll just, you know, we'll just kiss and say goodbye like the Manhattans. Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what that's going to be all about after this season with Aaron Rodgers. If he still wants to play and he made the notion that, look, man, I'm not going to be playing for a bottom feeder. Well, where did that leave you then? Where are you going to go? Rodgers is going to be 38 years old. How much longer does he want to play? Does he want to play two more years? Does he want to play four more years? Does he want to play five more years? I'm quite sure he doesn't know. I'm quite sure just like Ben Roethlisberger at the end of his career, just like Tom Brady, what he's going to be doing, just like Eli and Peyton Manning, just like all these great quarterbacks, just like all these athletes, football players and such. Man, when you get to a certain age, you just take it year by year, season by season. I'm 36, I'm 37 years old. I've done this, that in the sport. There's still some things I want to do in the sport, but do I really have the hunger to have to go through everything that I need to do to get to a level of play to where I can get it done? And am I going to be with an organization and a team that's going to allow me to do that? How much do I want to put into this? How long is it going to take me for to do this? Is it going to take me two years? Is it going to take me four years? Is it going to take me one year? If I come back to the Green Bay Packers, are we still going to be that team that's going to be able to compete for championships at a high level? What does Devontae Adams, what is he thinking about? Where does he want to go? Are the Packers going to be able to resign him? If they don't resign Devontae Adams, what's going to be the course in terms of uh, getting better from that position, if I want to play two more years, will I have that opportunity? Is there a better opportunity if I want to play two to three more years for me to go to a Tennessee, for me to go to a Denver, for me to go somewhere else to do what a Tom Brady did in terms of when he left New England, nobody was really thinking about him going to a Tampa Bay when the first thought of uh, teams where he would go. Many people thought that he would go to the Los Angeles Chargers. Many people thought that he would go to the Tennessee Titans. Many people thought that he would uh, go somewhere else. And then Tampa Bay kind of came in a little bit late in terms of a viable option for Tom Brady to go. So right now we're speculating if Aaron Rodgers wants to play and he doesn't want to play for the Green Bay Packers. Say, for instance, he wants to play for the Denver Broncos. If he wants to play for the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know. I mean, right now, how many teams would say to their starting quarterback right now, uh, take a seat, take a side, take a stand, take whatever you want to. But uh, as of right now, your starting quarterback status has been revoked because we're going to go after Aaron Rodgers. 
What about the San Francisco 49ers? Would they continue to put the Will they continue to put uh, Trey Lance on ice if they had the opportunity of two or three years with Brett Favre? Doggone it. With Aaron Rodgers? Who knows? Who knows? So, look, man, the legacy of Aaron Rodgers moving forward, speaking about it here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with George Truly and Wendell Wallace, sort of a complicated one, right? I mean, he, he, has, he has one Super Bowl victory which is one less than Jim Plunkett <laughs> and one more than Dan Marino and you know, one less than John Elway, you know, but he's tied with Trent Dilfer and, uh, and uh, you know, who, who else? Doug Williams. So what, what is his, what is his legacy? 14 seasons as a starter. He's been to the postseason 11 times. The only time he hasn't, been to the playoffs with 2008 his first season as a starter 2017 when Aaron uh, what was the guy from Minnesota Aaron Burr Aaron Anthony Burr broke his collarbone and that was it for the end of the season and then in 2018 which is Mike McCarthy's final season in which those two basically wanted to kill each other Rodgers has fallen short in the playoffs nine times since winning the MVP and in the uh, Super Bowl which was what Super Bowl long time ago so you know, but what what are we gonna do here? What's his legacy? Since winning the Super Bowl, he's been seven and nine in the playoffs. Are you going to take away from the fact that he has less than a five hundred record, or are you gonna take the fact that you know what he's been to the uh, playoffs that many times? You speak about some of the heartaches. You speak about the loss to uh, Seattle, where he didn't play well, but because the Legion of Boom at that time forced five Green Bay turnovers, and then there was a mishap on the onside kick from Green Bay which gave Seattle the opportunity to recover the football and win the game I mean he's been through the gamut of ups and downs and twisted turns in terms of his career in Green Bay I still think as far as arm talent is concerned until Patrick Mahomes came on the block I think I think that uh, Aaron Rodgers was the most talented passer had the most talented arm in NFL history for some of the stuff that he did um, but his legacy is going to be a little bit complicated and don't know if his legacy is even done being done, uh, being finished yet because he still wants to play football if he still wants to play football. So, you know, is he the greatest Packer of all time? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, where would you put him? I'm, I'm quite sure you probably didn't have an opportunity to watch Bart Starr play, but Bart Starr's legacy concerns, uh, you know, compared to Aaron Rodgers, compared to Brett Favre, where, where, where do you put him as far as players are concerned, as far as quarterbacks are concerned? So if this was the best season for Aaron Rodgers in terms of where he wanted to go. It was almost similar to the Denver Broncos situation in 1996 where they lost in the AFC Divisional Playoffs 30-27. to They came into that year heavy favorites to make it to the Super Bowl. They finished the season 13-3. and They had nine pro bowlers on that team. You had Hall of Famers like Elway and Terrell Davis and Shannon Sharp and Gary Zimmerman and Steve Atwater and Michael Perry at the defensive tackle, even though Perry is down in the Hall of Fame. He made the Pro Bowl that year, but uh, that was a team that was loaded. And they lost to Jacksonville. And this was a time where everybody, the narrative was, this is the best opportunity for John Elway to get himself a Super Bowl ring. If he can't get a Super Bowl ring this season, then in all likelihood, he's done. 
In all likelihood, this is the best opportunity for John Elway to get himself a ring. And they lost at home after clinching a bye in the first round. Jacksonville, who was an expansion team that was put together like four hours before the game, being facetious, but they were a very young organization. Mark Brunell and those guys, Natron Means and those guys. I think Natron Means was in that uh, was on that team, but uh, Jimmy Smith and, um, and and the other receiver who was really good. They came into uh, Jacksonville, and uh, Sean uh, Coughlin was the um, uh, with the head coach at that time. Tom Coughlin with the coach at that time, and they shocked the world, baby. They did a Ali with Sonny Liston. They shocked the world and beat them thirty to twenty seven. And it was a situation again where it was kind of like, what's Elway going to do? Well, Elway came back the next season. The Broncos finished 12-4, and and they beat the Green Bay Packers, upset the Green Bay Packers 31-24 in the this one's for John game. And then they came back and beat the Atlanta Falcons in the uh, Super Bowl proceeding after that one, in which John Elway came out and retired and had two Super Bowls. So in within the matter of two or three years, he went from the absolute you know despair of despairs to the highest of highs. So if we're speaking about Green Bay and we're speaking about Aaron Rodgers, exactly what's going to be the scenario? Is he going to be John Elway? And again, it was a little bit different because there was a desperation because Elway hadn't made the, uh, hadn't won a Super Bowl. He would, you know, he was what, 0 for 3 or some nonsense like that. But Aaron Rodgers already had a Super Bowl. But it's a situation, man, when you're starting to work on your legacy right now, man, that was a bad opportunity. That was a bad miss for the Packers. So if you're Aaron Rodgers, do you go back to the team which in all likelihood is going to give you the best opportunity to uh, win the Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers and you use this as fuel like the Broncos did after losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick did not, not just once but a couple of times where they missed out on NFL historical presence at the best ever when they lost the opportunity to go undefeated and losing to the Giants at the Super Bowl. Do you, you know, they came back and won a couple more after losing to Philadelphia, the, the Philadelphia Eagles and with Nick Foles, I think they came back and won uh, one or two more. So does the Green Bay Packers organization and Brett Favre have that type of resolve or are they going to do something like the 1998 Minnesota Vikings with Randy Moss and Randall Cunningham and Brad Johnson and Robert Smith and and uh, what was it, Isaac Reed and Chris Carter and those guys to where they finished the season 15 and one but lost in the NFC Championship at home to the Philadelphia Studio Atlanta Falcons, the Dirty Birds with Jamal Anderson and such and. That organization, that squad, that team was never the same again, man. I tell you, with John Randall, Dennis Green at the head coach, Brian Billick, with the offensive coordinator, he went to take a, the head coaching job at Baltimore, and that era in Minnesota in terms of co- what could have been a dynasty was over, was shattered with that loss to Atlanta. Are they going to be like the Legion of Boom when they lost the Super Bowl to New England? That loss basically put that uh, team out of function in terms of what they could be and what they what a mini dynasty could have been in that department. The same thing with the Atlanta Falcons when they lost that twenty eight to three lead against the 
New England Patriots. Matt Ryan was never the same. Dan Quinn was never the same. Kyle Shanahan went on to take another job, and Atlanta hasn't recovered record-wise from that debacle in the Super Bowl, losing that lead. So moving forward with the Green Bay Packers, those are some of the things you got to ask in terms of uh, what direction is this franchise, what direction is this organization going to be going, and exactly what is going to be Aaron Rodgers' decision. But uh, tough, 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 tough loss for the Green Bay Packers, for Aaron Rodgers, for Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now the waiting game is on to see exactly what's going to be not only Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Jordan Love, Matt LaFleur, Green Bay Packers organization. What direction do they go next? Only time will tell. segment of the program last segment of the podcast Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us remember you can check out some more of my thoughts and opinions concerning what's going on in the NFL what's going on in the NBA going on with my Georgetown tumbling faltering failing flailing embarrassing Hoyas basketball team on my YouTube channel Wendell's World is Sports W-E-N-D-E-L-L apostrophe S I try to put out something about one or two times a week. No, it's not two hours long. It's anywhere between, I would say, 30 minutes and, I don't know, 30 minutes and an hour, depending upon what I'm talking about and what I'm putting down. So if you want to go over there, subscribe. And um, I've got highlights. I've got this Denzel Washington back in the day looking face, this movie star, handsome, good-looking, sex symbol type of face right here that you can be able to watch me as my eyes dart all over the place and I'm moving all around and that type of thing so if you want to watch me do my thing talking about what's happening in the world of sports with some good highlights mixed in the YouTube episodes of Wendell's World and Sports go ahead subscribe do the right thing Wendell's World of Sports podcast though final segment of the program going to be speaking about look now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are done we don't know in the future if it's going to be Tampa Bay or it's going to be Tampa Tom we don't know exactly what's going to be happening with Byron Lethwich, his opportunity to become a head coach. We don't know exactly the minute opportunity for Todd Bowles to get a real chance to become a head coach again. We don't know any of those things. In terms of with Tom Brady, after the game, he said, look, I'm going to talk it over with my family, and there's a whole lot of things, and you know, my wife just hates to see me get hit. And I'm just wondering from a Tom Brady perspective, he puts so much emphasis and so much you know of himself in everything that he does in terms of how he trains in terms of how he lives his life one thing I would love to ask say for instance if Tom Brady decided that um, he is going to retire that uh, he's done playing football after 20 something years 
one of the questions I would have for him is just like, man, the way you've been living your life, your lifestyle and stuff and such, is that going to change? I mean, are you going to be able like to drink a soda? Are you going to be able to eat like a burger? Are you going to be able to eat like a pizza? Like not, not, not a gluten-free organic, um, the crust is made out of a certain flour, which is this, that, and the other. And, you know, the uh, tomato paste has to be a certain organic pick from the vines of this, that, and the other. No, I mean, I'm just talking about, man, just your really good pizza. Are you going to have yourself like a steak and cheese sub? Are you going to be able to, are you going to want to do that? Or you, this is just TB12 lifestyle you're going to keep for the rest of your life. That's one of the things, because as I mentioned before, he puts so much into, you know, him playing at a level that he finds uh, respectable and he finds acceptable that, It'll be interesting to see what he does once his career is over. But that, that'll be plenty of time. So I don't want to be doing every podcast by doing the obituary of Tom Brady's football career. We know how great he is. We know how awesome he is. He After the game, he just seemed to be like, hey, man, you know, you win and you lose. So we lost. So I've been there, done that, both sides. So you know I'm going to take some time. He, he didn't seem despondent. He didn't seem resolute. He didn't – he didn't – he just – Seemed like a guy who lost a football game in which we gave it a good try. We lost. We were uh, down some folks. It's been a tough year. So, hey, man, I'm just going to hang out with my wife and kids and, uh, you know, relax and talk to them. And when I have the answers, it won't be long. It's not going to take long. It it didn't take long for him to decide that he didn't want to be in New England anymore. So I'm going to take him at his word to say, hey, look, man, you know, I'm going to decide and it's not going to be long out. It's not going to be long driven out in terms. So, you know, when I finally decide, I'll let you know. Okay. And when Tom Brady lets us know whether he'll be back or not, that's when we can go ahead and start shifting in terms of what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to do. Because until that time, you have no idea in terms of where to go, who to resign, what we're talking about. When you're speaking about a team like the Buccaneers who have some aging players so if you're not going to have the cornerstone of your offense namely the quarterback and Tom Brady there what exactly are you going what exactly are you doing what are what are you doing what are your plans moving forward in that situation so all of that stuff will be spoken about by yours truly Wendell Wallace on Wendell's World of Sports not only on the audio in terms of my podcast, but also on the YouTube channel, Wendell's World of Sports, in terms of my thoughts and feelings about the future of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady's legacy and all that nonsense. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. But I want to spend the remaining few moments speaking about the Los Angeles Rams, who were plain and simply the better team than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they proved it in the regular season, and then on the road, they proved it in the playoffs. They almost gave that game away. It would have been a monumental choke, which would have had some pretty big uh, ramifications if they would have let that game slip away from their uh, grasp. But uh, Matthew Stafford finding Cooper Cup at long pass to uh, set up the game-winning field goal for that 30-27 victory. It was, uh, I guess, what you could say, not, not, well, not just yet, not just yet, because they still got to get past the San Francisco 49ers. They're not out of the clear just yet in terms of exhaling on some of the moves that they made. Did they pay off or not? Just because you beat the injury, injury-riddled, depleted Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even with 44-year-old Tom Brady throwing the ball 50 times all over the stadium, the, the main deal for them is going to be beating the San Francisco 49ers. 
that's going to be the deal. All of this goodwill and all of this wonderfulness and all of this hip hip parade and ding dong, the witch is dead type of talk with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. If you go ahead, that means nothing. If at home you can't beat the San Francisco 49ers. If you remember the last time that uh, San Francisco and the Lam- and the Rams met the, yeah, the Lamps, how about that? The San Francisco 49ers in the second half turned the Rams into Lamps after being down 17-3. to Sean Payton running out there and acting the fool, acting like Josh McDaniel when he was the coach of the Denver Broncos when they beat the San, when they beat the New England Patriots and beat his mentor, Bill Belichick, out there a mile high, and he's up there running around after that game against the uh, Patriots, acting like a fool. It was only, what, week four of the season of his first year or some nonsense like that. So after one of the touchdowns scored by the Rams in that game against the 49ers, here's uh, Sean McVay running onto the field and, you know, celebrating with the team. And San Francisco was like, really? You're going to go ahead and disrespect us like that, huh? Okay. So San Francisco came back and won. not saying that with the impetus of or the only reason why the 49ers came back and won, but it didn't help in terms of the Rams trying to uh, maintain that victory. So moving forward, home game for the NFC Championship, Conference Championship, validate some of the moves that were made by the Rams. Matthew Stafford's going to be the main deal. His relationship with Odell Beckham Jr. in terms of the receiving has uh, greatly improved. The the first time that those guys were on the uh, field playing against uh, the teams as far as Odell being a member of the Los Angeles Rams, Vaughn Miller seemed to have uh, gotten into a good rhythm now playing with the Rams. The defense has played well. You got Jalen Ramsey, even though he got beat by Mike uh, Mike Evans. I mean, he's still there, but Matthew Stafford is going to be the key. He was fantastic, absolutely fantastic against a pretty formidable defensive front in Tampa Bay, where he was 28 of 38 for 366 yards and two touchdowns. The, he was uh, he was the key to the game. And in a game where they only rushed for an average of two and a half yards per carry, and the leading scorer, Cam, uh, leading rusher Cam Akers, was only averaging two yards per carry on 48 attempts. That's 48 for all you math whiz. That means that, um, you know, Matthew Stafford had to get it done and he got it done. So it's going to come down to a situation where Jimmy Garoppolo and the offensive scheme and the defense of the San Francisco 49ers going up against the Los Angeles Rams, the 49ers are going to have to do something in terms of uh, slowing down Matthew Stafford in that offense because they just don't have the offense, they just don't have the firepower, especially going up against the Rams' defense for them to uh, put up uh, a lot of points. This is not going to be a situation where it's going to be 12 degrees, feels like zero in inclement weather in Southern California. It's just not going to be happening. So there's going to be a lot of scoring opportunities uh, for the Rams if they continue the way to play like they're playing. The defense for San Francisco, are they going to be able to slow them down? And and is Garoppolo going to play a bigger role than he played against Green Bay in terms of them winning? I don't think that you can just rely on Samuel, and I just don't think that you can rely on the running game this time or have the same formula that the 49ers had the last time that they played the uh, Rams to become victorious. So 
That is my thoughts and opinions about that. With that being said, I think the 49ers are going to win. Sorry, Armando. That's it, man. That is all that we wrote here on Wendell's World of Sports. I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'm going to go out with a little Chuck Brown. I'm going to go out with a little Go-Go. I'm going to go out with a little Washington, D.C. flavor. Some of the stuff that I grew up on. The best music in the world. Homegrown right here in the Washington. Well, right there in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Um, so yeah, man, y'all be good to each other, treat each other with respect, love, peace, unity for those who earn it, those who deserve it. And, uh, you know, listen, learn, do what you need to do to make this world a better place. Let's get down with a little go-go music in my man, the legendary one, rest in peace to the Godfather, Chuck Brown. What you need sometimes.